0: The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit LifeBaptistChurch.com. So the holidays are currently in full swing, and that is uh, from Thanksgiving through New Year's, our lives are You know, infused with all sorts of seasonal activities, most of which are absolutely fantastic. Uh, This is usually a time of year that there's a lot of Christmas shopping that's going on, which is really cool. Um, I love gifts, and I love Christmas, so that's a couple of my favorite things about the holidays. Now, granted, uh, all of Dave Ramsey's advice on budgeting and not using credit cards tends to go out the door for a lot of Christians during this time of year, but um, hey, it's Christmas. I'm sure Dave Ramsey understands all of that. Um, Also, There's a lot of eating that happens at this time of year, which is really cool because I love eating. It's one of my favorite things about the holidays. Um, In fact, I know that Weight Watchers has built a business on the idea that nothing tastes as good as being thin feels, but that could be because they weren't eating the good stuff. Um, I mean, if you're trying to choke down a rice cake, moderation's not a problem right there. But now if we're going to talk about some ginger snaps and a little bit of fudge and a sip or two of eggnog, it's a whole different story. And all the Baptists in the room said, Amen. amen, amen. Good to know who the Baptists are. It's also a time of year that is marked with a lot of family gatherings and Christmas parties, which is really cool because most of those have food and people. My inner introvert comes out sometimes at the holidays. But um, anyway, when you get a lot of those parties and gatherings and there's family members and co-workers and friends, and sometimes they're estranged, sometimes they're people that are hard to get along with, there's a lot of spouses that give that pre-party pep talk that goes something like this. You know so-and-so is going to be there. Just be nice. Please don't make a scene like last year. Just put on your big kid pants and don't embarrass me again. All right, how many of you have already received that talk this year? Okay, how many of you have been given that talk this year? Yeah, see, holidays are awesome for everyone. So about a year ago, I had this idea of, man, during the month of December, it'd be kind of important maybe to give a series of messages on how to work through some relationships Instead of people just kind of sucking it up and getting through the holidays, how do we make things right in the holidays? Imagine what it would be like to celebrate the holidays in peace. Imagine what it would be like to be able to look back and see that all of the problems and divisions and tensions of this year have not followed you into the upcoming year. So as I was praying about this series, John 17 came to mind when Jesus was praying for his disciples that they would be one even as he and the Father are one. And it was that correlation between he and the Father that really brings a lot of depth into that statement because what he's saying is not just getting along. He's not talking about making do. He's not talking about putting on your big kid pants so you just don't make a scene. What he is talking about is complete unity and oneness of heart And full joy in relationship. He's talking about what it looks like to really be one. Now this idea of oneness or togetherness or unity is one that is found throughout the New Testament. And especially if you're talking to believers. So 1 Peter 3 teaches us that we are to have unity of mind, sympathy, and brotherly love. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us there are to be no divisions among you. Colossians 3 encourages us to be together in, listen to this, perfect harmony. Not just basic harmony, not just get along, but rather perfect harmony. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we're also told to maintain the bond of peace and pursue those things which make for peace. And as much as depends on you, be at peace with all people. So peace and unity and togetherness and oneness, they're not just relational goals. They are relational expectations for those who are followers of Christ. It's what it looks like to be walking in accordance with his word and walking in obedience with the spirit of God. So the question becomes, how do you do it? When someone has wronged you, I mean hurt you, how do you forgive them? When someone is going down the wrong path, how should you confront them? And when should you confront them? When there's been division between you and someone else, what does true biblical reconciliation look like? How do you go about biblical reconciliation, and when should you start biblical reconciliation? Those are the types of questions that we're going to be answering in the next three weeks. So this morning, I invite you to go with me in your Bibles to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, I want to speak this morning on the subject of forgiveness. We'll be in verses 25 and 26. Mark 11, 25 and 26. If there is an initial step that needs to be addressed for the purpose of keeping unity and healthy and strong relationships, it's going to be forgiveness. So let's begin verses 25 and 26. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that your Spirit would guide us into truth and that we would receive from the text what you desire for us to know and desire for us to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think these two verses could be any more clear on the subject of forgiveness. In fact, the context is very clear, and that is it's prayer. And Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. There is a connection here between your prayer life and your willingness to forgive. When you pray, forgive. When you pray, forgive. When you pray, forgive. forgive. Here's the question. How often should you pray? Always. 1 Thessalonians 5, it tells us that we are to rejoice always and pray without ceasing. So prayer for the Christian should be as normal as breathing. Therefore, forgiveness should be a regular, habitual, continual part of our behavior. We should be in a constant habit of forgiving. Every time we're praying, he says, when you stand praying, forgive. I mean, that's so clear. So who should I forgive? Anyone. Do you want to punch a couple of people in the face? Sure. Do you get that as an option? No. What should I forgive? Anything. Really. But what if they hurt me really bad? Forgive. What if they've done it more than once? Forgive. What if they don't even know they're doing it? Forgive. It says forgive if you have anything against anyone Jesus did not connect your forgiveness to their recognition of wrong somebody might say well I'll forgive them whenever they come and tell me they were wrong well Jesus didn't give that as an option he says if you have anything against anyone he says forgive It's one of the most universal passages you're going to find in the Bible on the subject of forgiveness. There is no caveats. There are no disclaimers. There is just pure forgiveness. The question becomes, what happens if we do not forgive? That's what leads us into our key truth for this morning. An unforgiving spirit reveals an unrepentant heart. An unforgiving spirit reveals an unrepentant heart. Now, somebody might say, how did this thing get turned back around on me? I mean, the person hurt me. They offended me. I didn't do anything wrong. My hands are clean. My struggle to forgive should not mean I've got a problem with unrepentance. They're the ones who offended me. Well, it's a great thought, but let's begin to work it out through the text. Here's a couple of truths I want you to see. First, unforgiveness is a sin and requires repentance. Now the text can be confusing for a lot of people because of where it fits within the theological landscape. Verse number 26 it says, "If you do not forgive, neither will your father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions." Now somebody might be thinking like, "But I thought I was completely forgiven already." Does that mean that unless I continue to forgive other people then I'm not truly forgiven. I thought my sins were forgiven past, present and future at the cross. So am I tr- half forgiven, partially forgiven, fully forgiven? What does that what does that mean? Well, it's confusing because we tend to think of the new covenant of grace beginning Matthew chapter 1 verse 1 because that's where our new testament begins. But the new covenant of grace does not begin until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which happens at the end of our gospel accounts. So in this section right here, they could not experience full forgiveness in Mark chapter 11 because Jesus had not yet died. He had not yet been buried. He had not yet risen from the dead. But you and I are on the other side of the tomb. Today, we celebrate complete forgiveness. That's one of the reasons why Romans eight one is so powerful. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. At the cross, our sin debt was paid. At the tomb, our new life was made possible. Possible. So, how do we view the text on the other side of the empty tomb? This is not in your notes, but it's a good statement, maybe to, to write off in the corner. Forgiving others is the evidence, not the basis of our forgiveness. Forgiving others is the evidence, not the basis of our forgiveness. We do not forgive to earn God's forgiveness. We forgive because we have been forgiven. So here's a couple of Bible verses. I put them in your notes, just the reference, but let me go through them quickly. In Matthew 28 or Matthew 18, excuse me, there is this parable talking about forgiveness. And in the parable itself, the king forgives one of his slaves of a massive amount of debt. But then that slave goes and literally tries to choke out another slave who owes him a debt. So, whenever the king heard about this, the king said, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Here's the point those who have been forgiven are to forgive others. Ephesians 4:32 says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiven each other." And here it tells you how: Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you." Those who have been forgiven are to forgive others. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Those who have been forgiven are to forgive others. An unforgiving spirit reveals an unrepentant heart. Now, unforgiveness either reveals that someone is not saved having never experienced the forgiveness of Christ or they are saved and they're choosing to walk in disobedience when he says, forgive. Either way you look at it, an unforgiving spirit reveals an unrepentant heart. So how else is maybe somebody's personal struggle with forgiveness an indication of an unrepentant heart? Here's the next truth. Unforgiveness holds people captive Retains their debt and keeps them obligated. That's what I say, Papa Morse. That's a good word right there. Listen, how do you know? This is one of those things that comes to me many times when people are wrestling through some type of disagreement and they've come to me and they'll say, Paul, I'm trying to forgive. But I get mad when I think of this person I think what they did it stirs all the emotions right back up how do I know that I've truly forgiven that person well you all know as well as I do it's easy to verbalize the words I forgive you and then grumble under your breath as you walk away. It's not, can you verbalize the words? The issue is, have you truly forgiven that individual? To forgive someone is to pardon someone, to release them from a debt, or to cancel an obligation. When we truly forgive someone, we no longer want God to get them back. We want God to bless them well. If you're wondering, where's the line? You no longer want God to get them back. Because when you can say... Oh, I forgive that person, but man, the Bible said, vengeance is mine. God, get them. Get them. Make them hurt. And, and, and you're just waiting like, God, you've not gotten them yet. I, I know you're patient. I'm not. God, can you step in and do something? When you're, when you're trying to like, encourage God to bring wrath down on that person, that's a good indication you have not released them from the debt that you think they owe you. But when you can be at a place where you say, God, Would you bless them good? God, I know I've messed up, but I know that is your child. I know you love them. I know you see what I don't see. You understand what I don't understand. God, would you bless them well? You know that there's been a fullness of forgiveness that's now come through. Listen to the way God forgave us. Psalm 103 verse 12. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43, 25, I am the one who wipes out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. It's not that... God has amnesia and he forgets. It is that God chooses to not bring it back up. He chooses not to hold that debt against him. It is a choice of the will. So that's how we have been forgiven by God. And based on scripture that I just read a few moments ago, that's how we are to forgive others. Because it says that we're to forgive others just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Somebody says, but what if I can't do that? I've tried to forgive this person, and it's hard. What if you can't do that? Here's the good news. You can't, but he can through you. It's not white-knuckling your way through and saying, all right, I'm going to do this. Because it requires the work of the Spirit of God to be manifest in and through your heart that he is now bringing about grace and forgiveness and love and mercy where there might be currently bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and anger and frustration. That has to be the work of God in your life. It might be that you have to pray that prayer. God, I can't, but you can through me. Would you please live forgiveness through me? You might have to pray that prayer 20 times a day for the next 10 years before God does a full work in your heart. There, there's an idea that happens in Calton, and that is the deeper the hurt, the harder it is to forgive. When you've been hurt deeply, it's it's hard. If somebody just said something in passing, but you know that's not a part of their normal routine, they're a lovable person, and you know they didn't try to offend you, you can brush that off and not think twice about it. But when they hurt you, when they wounded you, when they said something that got under your skin, it's hard. It's not teaching us in this text that forgiveness is going to be instantaneous. It does teach us what God desires for us to do. If anyone has anything against anyone else, forgive. Here's the next truth. How else is a person's struggle with forgiveness an indication of an unrepentant heart? Unforgiveness is often the outward manifestation of hidden sins. Said in a different way, unforgiveness is like a carrier agent of different sins under the surface. In our culture, and even within the church culture, holding a grudge or not forgiving someone is not considered that bad. In fact, it's kind of like an acceptable sin, like, ah, you got a grudge, you'll deal with it. As, As believers, we can almost mistakenly assume that if all we have is a couple of grudges to deal with, we're in pretty good spiritual shape. That's not the case. Because the issues that unforgiveness bring up reveal other sins that are under the surface. So when we choose not to forgive, here's what we are choosing to embrace. Pride. They hurt me. I don't have the problem. They have the problem. Selfishness. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Disobedience. I don't care what God says. I'm not going to forgive them. Resentment. I hate that person for what they've done. Jealousy. Why should they be released if I'm still hurting? Idolatry. My grudge is my God because I'm more focused on my pain than I am on him. Hypocrisy. People should forgive me when I mess up, but I don't have to forgive others when they mess up. Those are just a few of the types of sins that lurch like right under the surface. And sometimes it's only because unforgiveness has now been shown that you're like, now I've got to deal with some of these deeper issues, these other problems. When we hold on to a grudge or when we refuse to forgive, those are the things we're holding on to. So let me just ask you a question. Does that sound like a spiritually healthy person? If somebody's holding on to pride, selfishness, disobedience, resentment, jealousy, idolatry, hypocrisy, or any other combination of those, you would say, that person has some work to do. Well, that's one of the wonderful things about dealing with difficult situations, because sometimes that struggle with unforgiveness will also reveal other sins that God's been trying to get your sight on and your focus on for a while now. Here's the next one. Unforgiveness says through actions what we would never say out loud when I do counseling, there are times when I'm sharing a passage because somebody has just told me, here's what's going on. Here's what they did. And I'm mad with them. And I'll say, but here's what the Bible says. And they say, I understand, but here's what they did. Here's what they're saying. Here's how they've hurt me. And I'm like, all right, but here's what the Bible say. And they're like, but you don't understand. Here's what they did. And, and then at some point along the way, I was like, all right, so let me just pause here and let me tell you what you're actually holding on to in your heart when you keep rejecting what the Bible says. Sometimes it's helpful to verbalize what we've privately embraced in the heart. So here's some of those things we're holding on to with unforgiveness. God may forgive you, but my standard is higher than God's. My feelings are more important than my spiritual health. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care who I hurt, even if it's myself. My wrongs are less offensive than somebody else's wrongs. My will is more important than God's will. I know he says to forgive, but I am going to decline that because I've got some stuff i got to work through. Or my hurt is more important than my obedience. Here's a good word. It's a good word. After all that, you need a good word. Our hurts are healed in our obedience. It might be hard, but hurts are healed in obedience. Our hurts are prolonged when we choose to ignore things. An unforgiving spirit reveals an unrepentant heart. Now you'll look in your notes and you'll have a bonus truth. I gave this one to you because if I'm talking about forgiveness, I wanted to address it even though the text says nothing about it, but I want to address it from a forgiveness perspective. But here it is. Here's your bonus truth for this morning. Forgiving yourself is unbiblical. Forgiving yourself is unbiblical. Now, maybe you're the offender, And maybe you're wrestling and struggling with, how do I get past what I've done behind me? How do I get beyond my mistakes? And maybe you've heard a talk show host or a pastor or a friend say, you just need to forgive yourself with as much grace as I can possibly muster. That is a lie. It is not biblical. And it confuses true forgiveness. There is nothing in your Bible that says you are to forgive yourself. Because to forgive is to pardon someone, to release them from a debt, or to cancel an obligation. God can forgive you of your debt and your failure and your sin because it was against him. Someone else can forgive you of your debt and your failure and your sin if it was against them. You can forgive someone else of their debt, of their failure and their sin if it was against you, but you cannot forgive yourself. We are told in the Bible to repent of our sin, Matthew 4, to forsake our sin, Proverbs 28, to confess our sin, 1 John 1. We are told to forget what lies behind, to reach forward to what lies ahead, to press toward the upward goal of the call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3. We are called to remember who we are in Christ, holy and beloved, seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father, Colossians 2 and 3. There's a lot of instructions about what we are told to do to move beyond sin. Forgiving yourself is not one of those. Forgiving yourself is a concept from secular psychology that attempts to meet your own needs through your own flesh. It's unbiblical. Now, the reason I get a little passionate about this is I expect secular, unsaved people who don't know God and don't know His Word to look at this and say, yes. You can forgive yourself because they don't maybe know how to process through. They don't understand your identity in Christ. But here's what we have when someone who is a believer has bought into that lie. They are saying that the forgiveness they have through Christ and their identity through Christ and the promises through Christ are not enough to release them from their past and they have to help God out. Like, I'm going to somehow forgive myself. Listen, if Jesus isn't enough, we can't make up the deficits. If what he has already forgiven us of and released us of and said, this is who you are now in Christ, if that's not enough, it's not going to help if I tell myself, I forgive myself. It misses it. So what do you do if you're a believer and you're the offender? You're the one who sinned against someone else. What do you do in that moment? Here's what you do. You confess that sin before God and you thank him for the forgiveness you already have in Christ. That's like step number one. In confessing that, you are trusting that God will live obedience through you. If able, you go to the person you offended and you confess that sin to them and you ask that person for forgiveness. If they forgive you, praise God. If they choose not to forgive you, that's now between them and God. Because Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. You cannot control their response, but you can control your obedience in this. So what if you still feel bad after doing all of that? Well, you have to learn to see yourself as God sees you. You have to fill your mind with truth. You have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You have to refuse to allow Satan to wreck your future when he's already wrecked your past. Believe what God has said to be true about you and stand firm. An unforgiving spirit reveals an unrepentant heart. When we choose to hold on to a grudge and to not offer forgiveness, we are choosing to be disobedient. When we choose to be disobedient, that sin robs us of the joy and the depth and the intimacy that we can have with God. It does not break our relationship with God. Praise God, your sin has already been atoned for. You've been forgiven past, present, and future. But here's what happens. It robs us of the joy of deep fellowship with him. Unforgiveness corrodes the container it's in. And the longer you leave it, the more damage it's going to do. The enemy will tell you it's a justice thing. It's a respect thing. It's a right and wrong thing. It's about standing out for truth. No one understands what I see. Nobody understands what they did. Nobody understands how bad they hurt me. If you knew, you would take my side. But the issue is, it doesn't matter how justified you feel in holding on to the offense. When he said, if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Being one Requires us to let go. And that is not an easy process. Being one requires us to die to self. And that is not an easy process. It might require us along the way to keep going back to God and saying, God, I am mad again. There was just something that came to mind, and all of a sudden my mind started running. You know what I'm talking about when your mind starts running when you've been offended with someone? and that is you're like driving down the road, you see a vehicle that looks like their vehicle, and all of a sudden you create this dialogue in your mind and you are giving them a tongue-lashing. I don't even know, is that a phrase out here on the West Coast? I, I grew up and my mom would give us a tongue-lashing. That's whenever she really started yelling at us or something. So in your mind, you're just giving it to the person. You're telling them what they did, and you're telling them what they did wrong. And in, Oh, by the way, have you ever noticed how articulate you are in your mind when you've got this whole thing going on? Somewhere along the way, that's where you stop and say, God, by your grace, you have to release me from this because this is not healthy for me and it's not going to be healthy for reconciliation. God, would you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? God, I submit myself to you. Would you live true forgiveness through me? And over and over and over, you might have to do that. It's not going to be easy, but it's right. So this week, we're just opening up the subject of forgiveness. Next week, we talk about confrontation. When do you confront someone? How do you confront someone? And by the way, if you don't come in with a heart for forgiveness on the front side, you will always confront wrong in the moment. So this is just kind of laying a foundation. We've not exhausted forgiveness. Believe me, it's going to be coming back up over the next two weeks. That is, if anybody else shows up in the next two weeks. <laughs> well, Listen, it, it could be good. Imagine this. Imagine going through the holidays with peace in your home. Yes. Let that be a goal, all right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Even when it hurts, we thank you for the word. We thank you for truth. God, we ask that we would be people that, that say, Whatever that looks like to live truth through us, God, we want that to happen. God, we recognize that the enemy wants us to think that our situation is unique, that no one understands, that our pain is ours alone to hold on to, and it doesn't hurt anyone. But God, we we can see in your word that those types of thoughts can creep in along the way, but your word clearly teaches us that we are to forgive. May we rely upon what the Word says and upon what the Spirit can do as opposed to holding on to our grudges. In Jesus' name, amen.